Welcome back to another episode of the Dogs of War podcast. We appreciate you being here as always. This episode is brought to you by Zabo Apparel Company. You need some Cleveland gear, some Cleveland Browns hoodies, you know exactly where to go. S-Z-A-B-O-Apparel.com. Today's episode, Raleigh and I bring on our friend John Dixon, who is the deputy editor of Arrowhead Pride, which is arrowheadpride.com. You can find him on Twitter at Arrowhead Phones. We'll have all his contact info and website in the episode description to help us break down everything about this upcoming game with the Chiefs. Let's get into it. Here we go. I still believe through the cold and through the heat, through the rain and through the tears, through the crowds and through the cheers. Welcome back to the Dogs of War podcast. This is your host, Kevin, along with my esteemed co-host, Raleigh. We'd like to welcome on a very special guest this episode, Mr. John Dixon. John is the deputy editor of Arrowhead Pride. You can find them at arrowheadpride.com or at Arrowhead Pride on Twitter. His own personal Twitter is at Arrowhead Phones. Mr. Dixon, welcome to the Dogs of War podcast and thanks for joining us. It's my pleasure to be here with you guys. Thanks so for I, having me on. Absolutely. I would love to hear a little bit more about your site, Arrowhead Pride. I know you guys have some podcasts over there. You know, how'd you get started with that? What is really your history in covering the Kansas City Chiefs? Well, I've been a fan for uh, more than 50 years. I remember watching the first Chiefs Super Bowl game in 1966. And then uh, after the 1969 season, I was a fan for that game. I've been a fan off and on, came back on board as a full-fledged fan in the late 80s when Marty Schottenheimer, whom you would know well in Cleveland, uh, came on the scene here in Kansas City. Um, I started covering the team in 1993 through kind of a fluke of nature, started covering the team for a local radio station here, did that for 17 years. And um, then when that radio station changed hands, things, you know, things happen sometimes. And that uh, ended up uh, not continuing any further. And at about that same time, uh, I became aware of the, this website, arrowheadpride.com, started writing occasional articles for it, been part of the community there for uh, since 2009, I think it was. And just uh, see, two and a half years ago, I came on as deputy editor, which is what I do now. Uh, before we get into it, uh, we've been talking to John uh, a little bit before we went on air. You know when people say you have a voice for radio? Yep. Really, they're yep. just like ripping on. <laughs> What's the, they're like a, a backhanded. They're like insulting somebody's face when they say that or something. <laughs> but not no insult. You're good luck. You do have the voice of radio. With well, thank you. I appreciate zero, that. Like I'm like man. No, this is I'll sing the exact like thing. Guy. Well, uh, well, well, well I was for a long time. That's that's the deal. Is I, I worked on the air for a long time, uh, not for oh, gosh, twenty five years now since I that was a job that I did full time. But I I've spent quite a bit of my career in the radio business in one form or another. Well, we're going to work on our radio voices in this off season, and we're going to be back swinging hard next year. But yeah. Before we get into the uh, stuff, so we try to celebrate the. Uh, 
our fans, other people's fans sometimes, unless they're the Steelers, <laughs> which is I'm still so jacked about. Um, congratulations on the 2020 Super Bowl from the fan side of you. Oh, what well, kind of emotions? You. I mean, it's insane. I'm jumping all over the place here. You guys had like three games in that playoff run that you came back from like significant margins that didn't just yeah. turn into narrow victories. You ended up turning those into slaughters in right. the Super Bowl. And I'm like, there is no safe victory against the Chiefs, but how amazing. Describe what it's like to win a Super Bowl after especially, years of tournament. Especially covering them as long as you have. Well, right, and and that of course is is part of it too. But I but I've also been a fan all this time. I've never, you know, I've never pretended to be some kind of impartial jur- journalist who uh, just covers football because I like the X's and O's or when I'm a Chiefs fan. That's what I am, you know. And I bring that to the reporting that I do. Uh, that I try and keep as impartial as I can. But I I don't make any secret of the fact that I'm a Chiefs fan, and I I feel like sports writers should do that. You know, uh, the people who read your stuff are fans. They want a fan's perspective, and and that's what I do. Uh, yeah, it was it was insane. And I think the final stat was that they'd gotten at least ten points behind in all three of those games, and then won all of them by at least ten points. The most amazing one being uh, that game against the Houston Texans. Um, oh God, which was crazy. You know, down twenty four to nothing. And for a Chiefs fan who had watched it, your team for a long time, uh, to see him come down twenty-four to nothing in that opening uh, quarter, um, you know, I just can't. We were all beside ourselves. But the thing was, we'd been watching Patrick Mahomes come back from those kinds of deficits all year. And we knew that he could do it. And that was so much different than the reality he'd been living for all those years before that. And then, you know, 51 to 7 streak to end the game. And we come out of it with a 20 point victory. I mean, it was just, it was just crazy. And then it, it, from that point, it just felt like it was all fade. And even in the third quarter, even before Chet Chip Wasp with seven and a half minutes left in the game, uh, in the fourth quarter, um, the, the now famous play with Tyreek Hill on third and 15, um, even up to that point, we weren't really that worried. You know, down down 10 points, no problem. <laughs> the game ain't over yet. <laughs> so uh, that it's, it's, it is night and day compared to what it was uh, before Andy Reid came to town, and particularly Pat, Patrick Mahomes. I think what Raleigh was trying to say earlier is that him and I have faces for radio. You just have a damn good radio voice. Okay, I was going to make my own correction. I remembered what the actual – it's you have a face for radio. Right. That, okay, and I, <laughs> so when I said you have a voice for radio, I'm like, what the hell? Where's the insult? <laughs> That's but okay. Like, I think I understood what okay, you meant. So <laughs> this, this is more me clearing it up with the audience that I'm back. Okay. Back. All right. that, okay. Edit that out, Kevin. And John, why uh, no, no edits, no edits. John, why I love to, or why we love to ask, you know, especially reporters and, and people that have covered and written and you know spoken about the team for so many years about it, is not just the, in, you know, being impartial or not being impartial. It's you know, fans can watch when they want to watch or tune out when they don't want to watch. Those are casual fans, but someone who's writing about them day in and day out watches every snap of every game. That's the people that I really think of. You know, when I. When we won the game over the weekend, you know, one of the first people I thought of outside of like my friends and family was like our announcer, Jim Donovan, who's had to sit there and mm-hmm. watch 
some of the most horrific, not yeah. just not just NFL, but like sports performances in the history of mankind sure. over the last you know twenty years before we got the boys we have now. So it's always interesting to hear, and I just love hearing about when people you know they when they haven't won one in a long time, they've been watching or covering for so long. So. Yeah, I echo Raleigh. Congratulations on that. I hope to, we hope to feel that feeling of eternal glory someday soon. Well, I, I offer my congratulations too, because I can really relate to how you guys have been feeling all these years. It's very similar. You know, the, the streaks of, are kind of a similar length. And so I can really appreciate what y'all are feeling in, in Cleveland right now. And so I want to be sure to offer my congratulations to the team and its fans. I know it's been a long time coming, and this must be a fabulous week. And I'm, I hope you're enjoying every minute of it. It's uh, hey, thank you. It's been surreal. Like that was, I mean, we were big on emotionally hedging our bets or hedging our emotions. You tell. And so, <laughs> like, with that. yeah, you know, you <laughs> walk into. Thank God we're here. We're at the playoffs. Yeah. All I could ever ask for. We're supposed to lose in Heinz Field for the billionth time in a row, and then things start up. We're like okay, uh, hope is here, hope is here, um, and you're just nervous the whole time. My biggest fear right now, I- I'm back at the point of, I'm so proud of the Browns, no matter what happens on Sunday, this is awesome, house chips, Chiefs are a great team, but if you guys give us a 24-point lead and slaughter us like that, like just whatever you did to the three teams in the playoffs last year, <laughs> just don't do that to us, is all I'm asking. <laughs> like, let's, uh, I'm just... The, the emotional waves, I'm just trying to... We all have PTSD from it. Yeah, see, well, John, of course, after, of, of course you do. We did, too. I, I totally get it. I totally get it. I know I know exactly what you're talking about. After the first quarter of the Steelers game the other night, we, and not because of the, the boys out there, it's, it's just because of our, what we've known as Browns fans for the past 20, 30 years, we were half expecting what happened to the Texans last year to happen to us. Like everyone at halftime was scared out of their minds because yeah, we had a big lead, but we've seen the script a thousand times, especially with big Ben and other teams. So uh, we were, we were hoping that wouldn't happen and thank God it didn't. Right. Well, you know, it takes a long time to get over that. You know, uh, uh, the chiefs have, you know, they've just turned in the, the best record in franchise history. You know, they've never had, they've never been 14 and two before. And they might easily have been 15-1 and one if they weren't in a position they could coast through Week 17, which they were. So, you know, it's given an opportunity to put the second team out there and all that. So nobody cares about the fact that the Chargers won in, in Week 17. It was basically a preseason game for the Chiefs. They said so because they hadn't had one. And they wanted to look at some of these young players they hadn't really had an opportunity to see play this year. So, um, you know, it's, it's so much different. But we still have a lot of fans who are who, who are biting their fingernails before every game. So I, I totally get where you're coming from because I feel some of it too. Uh, I'm always afraid of predicting a big win, win for the Chiefs because, you know, who knows what could happen. And that's part of the mindset that you have to, to build for yourself as a fan for a team that isn't doing very well. And then you have to figure out some way to put it in its proper context because you still have to have that, especially in the playoffs. It's single elimination. Anything can happen. And you've got to be prepared to, you know, have all these hopes from this season where we went into this thing thinking the Chiefs had an excellent chance to win a Super Bowl. And we don't believe that any less now than we did at the beginning of the season. But we could lose on Sunday. 
That's just the way it is. That's the way the playoffs work. And you've got to figure out how to, you know, be okay with that when the game is over. And it isn't easy. It's not, it's not easy for anybody, you know. And um, we're not yet at the point in Kansas City that we can be arrogant about it like the Patriots were, you know, for all those years. Um, so we're, and we're hoping that we'll never be that arrogant. Um, but you know, it'll probably happen. <laughs> yeah. It's, you guys are on the right path. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, the most obvious topic that we want to talk about is the cheat code you guys have, who goes by the name of Patrick Mahomes. Now, what's so interesting to me about the transition from college football to pros is uh, he didn't get even half the hype that Trevor Lawrence is getting right now. Right. I mean, right. But then he comes out and now, uh, he's looking like he's well on his way to, I don't want to jinx him. I hope he has a very long career, but to being the most skilled quarterback we've ever seen in this league. Can you tell me about, you know, I know he sat his first year when during his first year, or was it not till when was it when you guys were finally like, like, you remember the moment where it was like, Oh man, this kid is the truth. The week 17 game in Denver in his first season when he, when he started the, the final game of the season, a meaningless game, for the Chiefs, um, he came out and started the game and made these throws that were incredible. You know, three or four passes that we spent the whole offseason looking at over and over. And, it, you know, there's one of them where it seems like the ball changes direction in midair <laughs> en route to the receiver. And, of course, it didn't. But we had all watched it so many times because it was such an amazing play that we were starting to see things with it. And the anticipation... Uh, by the time training camp came around and we'd traded Alex Smith to the Redskins by then. Oh, excuse me, the Washington football team by then. And um, uh, and the expectations on Mahomes just couldn't have been higher after the performance that he put on in that Week 17 game against Denver. And And then he came out and, you know, killed it in his first season as a starter, you know, becoming MVP. I mean, Holy moly, how does that kind of thing happen? And, you know, everybody said after that, well, you know, he'll regress to the mean. He won't be as good next year. And, you know, it's just a one in a million shot. And it was. And it was natural for him to regress to the mean. But what was really going on when you're watching it closely is that he was learning how to be an NFL quarterback. Even in his, even after a redshirt NFL season, he was still depending on his instincts in that first season as a starter when he won the MVP. And he didn't know how to read defenses. He's admitted to that. I didn't really my know next how to question. do it. That was my next yeah, question. Yeah, he didn't really know how to do it. And uh, he just went out there and improvised. And the Andy Reid let him do it. And in the following season, in 2019, they started really in earnest trying to teach him to be an NFL quarterback, to learn how to read def defenses, you know, stay in the pocket when you can, improvise when you can't. And uh, last year, he, his stats took a hit, but the Chiefs won the Super Bowl. Uh, yeah. Part of that, of course, was the improvement of the defense under Steve Spagnuolo. But uh, certainly Patrick Mahomes' growth as a quarterback was part of that as well. And this year, his stats are up a little bit compared to that intervening year. And what do we see? 14 and 2. So, yeah, the guy is incredible. Um, there's nothing about him that you really can't like, you know, even in front of the press. He never puts a foot wrong. He always says exactly the right thing. People love the guy. 
Um, you know, it just it, it, it's like he's the perfect package. I, I don't know how we ever got so lucky. Just uh, well, you John Dorsey. That's we we're we going to talk about the John Dorsey Bowl. Yeah, because I wanted to ask about I wanted to ask about that. Um, so probably should have looked up the numbers of how many John Dorsey draft picks are in this uh, upcoming game. I mean, the Browns pretty much a lot, a lot, a lot still of them. quite a number on the Chiefs. Yeah, including uh, Mahomes. But back to just real quick. Don't want to dwell on this too much. But are you saying that Mahomes admitted, and what you're agreeing with is that while playing uh, or sitting behind Alex Smith, he didn't uh, learn as much as he could have. He just happened to be a baller and kind of he go did, out well, on his own. He depended on it more. I, I mean, I think it's, I think it's, you know, he said this in an off-season interview when he was on the show, that HBO uh, series called The Show, the barbershop thing where they sit the barber. I can't think of the name of it. Oh, The Shop? The shop, not the, the, LeBron? Not the shop. The shop, yes. LeBron show, the yeah. shop, right, right. And he appeared on that, and he said in that show that he didn't know how to read defenses. Now, it was never clear if he meant during his first season when he was redshirting or if it was in his second season as a starter. But he did say that it was something that he struggled with to begin with because he hadn't done that at all in college. But there was no doubt in anybody's mind that he played differently in 2019 and he did in 2018 there wasn't nearly as much improvisation it's still a part of his game and the chiefs have been very smart in in not uh, not working it all out of him you know they've tried to teach him how to be a good nfl quarterback and have those skills but also keep that flamboyance that he had that he has naturally in his game and it and it's turned him into a, an incredible player just incredible we've seen a lot of especially recently you know older old guard old school coaches and younger quarterbacks just not really work out why is Andy and Mahomes so successful together well, it's it's almost like they have this symbiosis, you know. I mean, Reed famously met with him for like three hours or something, uh, you know, and and came out of that meeting totally convinced that this was the guy that he wanted. And uh, you know, when he came to Kansas City, getting Alex Smith was deliberate. You know, uh, Andy always said that he thought Alex Smith was a winner, and he is. Uh, I have the greatest respect for the guy, but he's not that generational quarterback that can do the kinds of things that Mahomes does. And it was always clear that Andy Reid's plan was to keep playing Alex until he could find the guy that he wanted. And thanks to Brett Veach and John Dorsey, it was Brett Veach who was pounding the table for him, but it was John Dorsey who ultimately made the decision, made the deal to go, you know, trade up and get him. Uh, they both get credit for that. Um, but it was, it was Andy who met with him and realized this is a kid that can be fantastic. You know, he gets it. And, um, and they've just, they just have this symbiosis between them that you can't predict that stuff, you know, I, I, and it, you could tell it in the training camp in 2018 that Andy knew what was going to happen. Uh, he, he had a spring in his step. He was grinning. <laughs> I mean, it was like, he knew, 
what he was about to unleash on the NFL because he'd been around Mahomes enough at that point to know what, what the potentials were. And, of course, Andy's been around forever. He, if there's anybody who can spot it, he can. So, Old Hawaiian shirt Andy. Yeah. I have so, one of those. I have one of those red. You have Hawaiian to. If you're down there, yeah. you have yeah. to. Yeah. <laughs> we talked about John Dorsey a second ago. John Dorsey drafted half of the current Chiefs. He drafted mm-hmm. half the current Browns. Exaggerating, but not really. Why didn't Dorsey work out down there when he was responsible for drafting some of your cornerstone players? Well, the the, the short answer is we don't really know. Mm-hmm. Um, the Chiefs were pretty tight-lipped about it officially when it happened. But the supposition has been that um, that they weren't happy with how he managed to cap. And, uh, and there may have been some communication problems behind the scenes that I can't speculate about because I don't really have any information about. But it really felt like one of those things that all happened behind closed doors. You know, that, that maybe uh, Dorsey didn't get along uh, with other people or something like that. You know, I, I'm, not, I'm not saying that's what happened. I'm just saying that it had all the hallmarks of something like that. That it wasn't necessarily about his competence in drafting players because he was good at it. You know, nobody disagrees with that. He he brought some good players on the team who are still here, uh, but there must have been other. So there must have been other things going on that caused the team to to want c- to cut ties with him. And he certainly has shown that he has a talent to build a good roster now at at two different teams. So um, that I mean that's kind of an awesome thing to have when you're in a situation. I, I want to know as much as I can about the Browns, but I also want them to be an organization that they'll keep things close to the chest when they determine sure. it's advantageous for them to do so. Like, sure. no leaks on this ship, whatever. But it kind of, the story of why he left us, um, he's drafted great players, no doubt, but he made some moves that not necessarily led to his demise, but the team wanted to restructure his responsibilities, give him less of a GM role or a GM role focused more on just keep drafting versus sweet personnel guys. versus but yeah, the yeah. cap space. And uh, what's the other one? Uh, well, the hiring of Freddie kitchens was, that was probably the biggest oh, element. But hindsight's 2020 either way, total respect for the guy, but yeah. Yeah. John, you brought up the cap. You brought up the cap a minute ago. Another mm. thing I wanted to ask is for people who don't understand math that well or caps like Raleigh and I, especially <laughs> me, Mahomes just signed the biggest contract in the history of everything. $500 million over the summer with all sorts of other things on the side, I'm sure. Can you explain uh, how does that work in a few years from now? Like, Does that put you guys severely um, strapped down when it comes to – because you have to pay a lot of players coming up. You guys have such good talent on your team. I guess, what, if anything, does that do for your roster in the next few years? Well, uh, if, it were, if, if it were a normal NFL contract, a normal large NFL contract for a, starting, uh, a star player, okay, mm-hmm. it would cripple the team in a matter of a few years because normally the way that works is that you pay a big signing bonus up front Mm-hmm. And then that signing bonus is prorated, can't be prorated for more than five years uh, over, you know, the term of the contract. And um, and so it just becomes a bigger and bigger chunk of the and, and, and then, of course, the back end of the contract is loaded 
so that you don't have as much cap hit early on. And pretty soon you're just being destroyed by this contract. Mahomes' contract is the structure of it is is unlike any I've ever seen, and I'm not even yep. sure I can fully explain it to you. But the the way it works is that it has all these varying amounts of money that are very large that are his salary for each year, and when he when he reaches the beginning of a league year, uh the contract that the number for the year after that one excuse me is it i think it's the second year after that one becomes guaranteed so actually at the, so when he signed on the dotted line uh last summer he was signing a 3 year contract with options to continue over 12 years now uh, the advantage to this is, and, and he took like you know like a ten million dollar signing bonus, which is nothing, and in NFL terms of signing, you know that's nothing for signing bonus. And it actually his cap hit this season was the same it would have been under his rookie deal. It didn't change that at all. But the advantage to this is is the money isn't all tied up in signing bonuses, and so you have this big cap number. And you've got a guarantee structure built into it that's just about, you know, if you make it to the next co- the next contract year, it guarantees for another year. So, uh, like the 2023 year will be guaranteed when we get to March 15th here in a couple of months. But because it's all salary, if you need cap space to work with, you can convert some of that salary to signing bonus and then stretch it out. You can get just as much as you need in a given year and then stretch that out over a few years. And that's the mechanism of the contract that is going to make it work for the Chiefs. And, of course, you know, after four or five years, they'll renegotiate it anyway. It's not going to, you know, nobody thinks this contract is going to run the full 12 years of the term. But at some point, they'll renegotiate it and come up with some other mechanism to make the thing work. Um, But, you know, what Mahomes and his camp wanted was a record-breaking contract that would not hamstring the team. And they got one. I mean, that's the only way they could have written a record-breaking contract that wouldn't hamstring the team over a period of years. Is it because it gives the team flexibility to change things at their discretion when they need to. And uh, no traditional contract structure for a big contract could have done that. I spent, you know, two full days back last spring when we heard that, you know, the talk was that he was going to get a $250 million five-year contract. I spent two whole days figuring out how you could structure a contract like that and not have it break the team. And I figured out a way to do it. And then... (laughs) And then when, yeah, after all that, they went with a structure nobody had ever heard of before. I mean, really, it, it's, it's without precedent in the league. And, um, and most people, even I don't really quite fully understand how it works, but that's what it is. That's what it was designed to do, was to give the team some flexibility in case they run into a salary cap problem in a particular year, uh, is they can just convert you know, some chunk of Mahomes' salary into signing bonus and spread it out over a few years to give him a little extra cap room to work with. <laughs> so, jumping into uh, some of the details of this upcoming match, you mm-hmm. guys have Travis Kelsey, another Dorsey draft pick, who is an 
absolute animal. As a tight end, wasn't he second in receiving yards? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which is- and in fact, he. Uh, this is. I found this fascinating. Uh, editing one of our articles, I uh, one of our writers had made a statement, and I and I got curious about it. And uh, because talking about him being second receiving yards this year. And I wondered how often has that happened? Well, it turned out that there hadn't been a tight end who'd been in the top five in receiving yardage against all other players since 1983. That's a long time and, and a whole different game being played in 1983. And actually... It had been done. It had been done one time during that period last year by Travis Kelsey. <laughs> so not only did he almost become the receiving yards leader this year, he actually was in the top five for two consecutive years, which no tight end has ever done. And for those of you that don't know, Travis Kelsey is a Cleveland boy. Yes, sir. He grew up with the misery that we've gone through. Uh, what is he, 29? I think that's right, yeah. Nine-ish. So do you think he's going to be emotionally confused going into this game, trying to defeat the team that he grew up idolizing? Yeah. And- like, will, he, will he unintentionally drop passes because it's like subconsciously he's being told to? <laughs> Where is his allegiance going to lie? Is he trying to come home? He talked about that today, as a matter of fact, and he was available to the media today, and he talked about that uh, and about how his family and friends, uh, you know, consider him the enemy this week and mm-hmm. that that uh, made it personal for him. Uh, and uh, it was it, I thought it was really revealing. He talked about uh, about how hard it is to uh, to do that when you've grown up as a Cleveland Browns fan. And and honestly, among all the fan bases, I think the the Browns fan base and the Chiefs fan base are very similar in their yep. passion for the game. Uh, so I really could identify with the way he was talking. You know, I would I would feel that way if I were a professional football player. You know, growing growing up as a fan of the Chiefs and then having to go you know play for the Jets or something. You know, I I, I just wouldn't. It, it would be very hard for me to go back and play at my hometown. And uh, and he talked about that pretty frankly today. It was it was fascinating. Well, I think I was just kidding. So it's it's actually it's his family. Like he said, it made it personal. Like that's he wasn't kidding. No, no, and and and, and you know, and, and and his family, of course, has to deal with dual allegiances anyway because Jason mm-hmm. plays for the Eagles. Yep, and uh, his his mother actually has a, a jersey made that's when they when they played against each other. Oh yeah, was it last year or the year? I forgot. Uh, it all becomes a blur in my mind. But she had a jersey made that was half Chiefs and half Eagles. You know, Kelsey's J- Jason's ha- uh, number on one side and Travis's on half of Travis's number on the other it was it was hilarious. So that they could sit in the stadium and not feel like they were sliding either one of the boys. <laughs> so. Um, and what Travis said today was that, uh, that he was sure that a lot of his friends and family would be wearing chiefs jerseys, but they would have a Browns Jersey on underneath. <laughs> so, uh, and, and that's fine. That's great. You know, I, I think chiefs nation owes the city of Cleveland a lot of gratitude because Travis wouldn't be as tough as he is. Had he not grown up a Browns fan? I, I think that's exactly right. I, I think we do owe that debt. And of course, football fans owe Ohio a debt. 
I mean, there's no more, <laughs> there's no, there's no more football state in the U.S. of A. than the state Ooh, of Ohio. Texas so, might come swinging. Yeah, well, they can go pound sand because they got a lot of it. <laughs> no, I agree with that, John. You're right. We're, 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 I'm not disagreeing. I'm not disagreeing. I'm just saying. So, speaking of Texas, great segue by you there, John. Uh, this is not the first time that Mahomes and Baker faced off. The first time they faced mm-hmm. off was in yeah. 2016 when Mahomes played for Texas Tech, Baker played for OU. I think just about every scoring record was shattered that game. Yeah. OU won 66-59. to 59. Do you expect, will we have any chance of seeing a game with a very high score this Sunday? I think there's that chance. Yeah, I do. Um, but I, it just kind of depends on, on how the game goes. You know, um, uh, I think if the Browns uh, try and win this game by keeping Mahomes on the sidelines and running the ball down the Chiefs' throats, uh, you know, that will reduce the number of drives and ultimately the number of points scored in the game. But it's not a really good strategy to beat the Chiefs. Not if a lot of teams have tried that and it, it just doesn't work. Uh, really, the only way you stop the Chiefs is stop the offensive attack. And so far, the most effective way that's been done is by rushing four and putting all your all your marbles in the secondary. You know, selling out against the pass. Uh, put put seven guys back in the secondary in every play and hope you can get a pass rush going with, with four guys up front. That's really the only strategy that we've seen that even will slow Mahomes down. But, you know, this, this narrative, we talked about this on our show this morning, this narrative that, or I guess it was yesterday morning, the days are all a blur now yep. after 17 COVID. weeks of the season. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, teams keep talking about and pundits keep talking about, oh, well, you're going to have to run the ball in order to keep Mahomes on the sidelines. It just doesn't work. I mean, teams have tried it, and all that happens is that the Chiefs score faster. You know, and and they, they do seem to have this way about them that if they know they need to get points in, in three minutes, they'll just go and do it. And... um so it doesn't really help you to, to you know, generate a bunch of six-minute drives. You've got to figure out some way to match the Chiefs blow for blow. Uh, and that starts... I got a counterpoint. I've never done a counterpoint to it. Oh, okay. Fire away. I... Fire away. So, well, first off, running the ball, that's probably our greatest attack with. Sure, absolutely. Back there. Yeah. But you see a different in the dynamic of a game. When you do keep the ball on the ground, you extend drives, et cetera. Uh, that four-man, I mean, we have a depleted, an injury-depleted defense, a COVID-depleted defense. And mm-hmm. if they are going to be trying to rush and keep pressure on with four, like, those guys got to get some rest, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, keep the drives on the offensive side as long as possible. But I mean, In order to keep the defense fresh, is that the point that's you're making? My, that's my thought, but yeah. I mean, well, and these are the these are the things that the coaches are talking about when they're meeting this week, both in Kansas City and Cleveland. You know, what is the approach to take in this game for our team to have the best chance to succeed? And and that is the battle that we never see. You know, we go and watch these games, and we think it's all about the individual matchup with the players, and a lot of it is. But some of it is the matchup of the game plans. You know, that that one coach has a game plan that's better suited to defeat the other coach's game plan. 
And there's no way to know how that's going to play out until they go out there on the field and try and execute them. And then you add in the variables of, you know, players who don't play well or players who do play well, et cetera. It's like this thing you can't figure out, you know? Oh, yeah. Well, you got, you got clowns like us, well, me and Kevin more so, pretending to know what we're talking about. <laughs> well, in the meantime. Well, I, I don't, I make no claim to know what I'm talking about. I just write about football. So, Perfect. you know, I don't have to, I don't have to make game plans. You know, I just get to write about them afterwards. So, um, and if I did, it would probably be a freaking disaster. So, <laughs> talk to us about. We've talked about the offense plenty and your cheat code of a quarterback. We talk about our run game. I don't think I can say they have a better backfield than Hunt and Chubb. With regards to the Chiefs, yeah. With the Chiefs, yeah. And you guys know Hunt very well, obviously. With regards to the Chiefs defense, who are some of the names that we're going to be hearing a lot on Sunday for those that haven't really watched the Chiefs this year? Well, obviously, the defense is built around Chris Jones and Tyron Matthew. Mm-hmm. Uh, those are the the two big players. Frank Clark is is in there too, um, but uh, but it's Jones and Matthew who are the star players. Matthew's a guy you'll see all over the field. Uh, he's technically a safety, but they line him up everywhere um, to do whatever job needs to be done. You'll see Daniel Sorensen's name called a lot. Uh, he's kind of a journeyman player who. Uh, Steve Spagnuolo decided he really liked. And he's been a starting player for the Chiefs. Uh, Some Chiefs fans aren't crazy about him. They think he's too old and too slow. But Spagnuolo trusts him, and he's very hard-nosed. And he often makes plays at the end of games to close them out. He's often the guy who gets the interception, uh, you know, when there's 44 seconds left to go and the other team is trying to get one more score in to have a chance to tie or whatever. It's often Sorensen who makes that interception. Uh, it's often Sorensen who who delivers the bone-crushing hit on the other guy's star player, and then he's out for a couple of series or, you know, gets a concussion or whatever and is out of the game. I don't want to make it sound like he's a dirty player. He isn't. Um, although his nickname is Dirty Tan, Dirty Dan, but that's because mm. he'll do jobs that nobody else wants to do. <laughs> but uh, there's a little. Some people don't agree with the provenance of that nickname, but that's what it is. Maybe um, his girlfriend gave it to him, but that might be. It could be. I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I wouldn't dare to say otherwise. <laughs> so that's a name that you might not know that uh, you'll see on uh, on Sunday. Um, We've got a new rookie uh, defensive lineman named Tershawn Wharton, Turk Wharton, they call him, that came from Missouri Science and Technology uh, in Rolla, Missouri, uh, D2, I think, maybe D3. Uh, as an undrafted rookie, he's really been very impressive this year along the defensive line. Um, and then the linebacker, uh the linebackers are going to be problematic. We've had a couple of, we've had Anthony Hitchens, the Mike linebacker has been out with COVID for a couple of weeks. Problematic for you. Problematic for you. Not for right. Me. Okay. That's correct. Okay. That's correct. Perfect. And, um, and, uh, Ben Neiman, uh, one of the other linebackers has, has been injured, had a hamstring injury. We had two rookies in there that had never played before. Um, a couple of weeks ago against uh, the was I've lost track. The game before the Chargers was at the Saints. Uh, I don't remember Falcons. now. Yeah, huh? Was it Falcons? 
Yeah, the Falcons. That's right. It was against the Falcons. Darius Harris was out there, and he'd been, you know, he'd been inactive for every game this season almost. And then we had a practice squad guy playing against him alongside him because Neiman got hurt in that game. So uh, they're very thin at linebacker right now. But uh, Anthony Hitchens will be back for this game. Damian Wilson, the other starting linebacker, actually played uh, against the Chargers. They didn't want him to, but they ran out of linebackers. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that's familiar. Uh, yeah. So uh, uh, he'll be back, I think, on on Sunday, but he may not be at 100%. And, and Anthony Hitchens might not be at 100% either. So that'll be something to watch on the Chiefs defense. Mahomes, is Mahomes not taken a snap since uh, the Falcons? Was that week 16? That's correct. He didn't play at all in, in week 17. Yeah. Is there any concern from anyone in Kansas City? I know, he, I mean, he's just obviously a freak, but depending on the team, some teams do well after some rest, some teams don't, like we saw with Pittsburgh last week. What is the general vibe at Kansas City about ha- him having, you know, three weeks off? It's split. I wouldn't say there's a general vibe. There are some people who are scared to death about it, and there are some people who are just, like, shaking it off. Yeah. You know, the Chiefs didn't play. Uh, somebody pointed this out on local talk radio today. I didn't happen to hear it, but I heard about it. Uh, somebody pointed out on one of the talk radio shows here in Kansas City today that the Chiefs didn't play a snap from the Super Bowl until day one of the regular season. Now, of course, that was true for all teams, but the Chiefs came out of the gate rolling. You know, they didn't look like a team that hadn't played at all. Now, part of the reason for that is that they didn't have the normal complement of rookies in there because there had been no preseason and the Chiefs had made such a careful effort to re-sign all their players in the offseason. They did something that most Super Bowl teams don't do, which is to make an effort to keep their star players uh, from the championship run around for another season. Normally, you know, they scatter to the four wins. You know, where can I get some money? Well, it's such a counterintuitive thought, what you just said, is that the Chiefs defied what everybody else did, I guess, other than maybe the... Well, shoot, no, the Patriots, every time they won it, other than... Uh, Gronk exactly. and so you build it around three guys right. maybe right. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you're talking dynasty back to back you'll see it sometimes yeah most teams they disband afterwards right and and that was what uh, Belichick has always been famous for is that he was totally unemotional about it and if you were on a team that won a Super Bowl with the Patriots uh, he would really rather that you went and got a big contract someplace else because he wasn't going to pay it to you yeah, you know, and and uh, so that's what would happen. But the Chiefs made a, a conscious decision. This is what they said: they made a conscious decision to get as many of their players back as they could, knowing that they didn't have to do that. That their players would be able to fend for themselves elsewhere. But they they wanted one more shot with the team that they had, and I like that as a fan. You know, let's keep the band together for a little bit longer. That may, after a period of time, uh, turn out to be a bad decision that we didn't have this year of getting rookies out there. But it turned out to be very fortuitous because when they made that decision at the beginning of March, they didn't know we were going to have a preseason. You know, nobody knew anything about COVID at that point. And it turned out to be a perfect strategy for this particular season. But they arrived at it accidentally. They had no idea what was coming. They, they, they said that they were thinking this way, even while they're riding down the street in the parade, that they were thinking, let's, let's run it back. Let's, let's bring our guys back and do it again. 
And then it turned out to be a, a really smart strategy for this particular season. Yeah, you don't want to Yoko Ono that band up just yet. <laughs> well, that would be one way to look at it, yeah. So you guys, again, we've said this a hundred times already. You have Mahomes, you have Le'Veon Bell, you have Tyree Kill, Sammy Watkins, Travis Kelsey. I mean, you guys are a freak show on offense. Is there... Do you guys ever even say the word weakness anywhere? Is there a weakness oh, on yeah. your offense? And where? Offensive line. Yeah. I mean, we, you know, and and part of that is the team's own doing. Uh, you know, they have not invested a lot of capital uh, in draft picks or money in the offensive line. Um, you know, we've got uh, Austin Ryder, who played in Cleveland for a while, mm-hmm. uh, as our center. Uh, Andrew Wiley, you know, this is a guy, totally unheralded guy that played, was on other teams, practice squads and, and what all the, the only, uh, star players that the chiefs have had have been Eric Fisher and Mitchell Schwartz, another, another one of your guys there. Um, and, uh, and they have been the bookends on that offensive line for, for, for a couple, three years now. But otherwise, it's it's built on journeyman players, uh, it, with the exception of uh, Dr. Duvenet Tardif, who opted out of the season uh, to continue being a doctor uh, during the pandemic, which is a decision uh, yeah. that, that, as human beings, we all applaud, but as football fans, we detest, because uh, he's a, a good, solid right guard. So there were two things that happened at the beginning of the season that that didn't help on running it back. One of them was the doctor's decision to opt out. And then one of the other opt outs was, uh, Lucas Niang, who was a, uh, I always forget this. I know I'm going to get it wrong. Was he a, he was one of our draft picks, maybe fourth round draft pick. Um, <laughs> All yeah. right. and, uh, you're, you're on the right podcast, John. Yeah. You're yeah. The and, right uh, you know, he was expected to be a, a player of the future at tackle. On one side or the other, perhaps a replacement for Fisher or Schwartz in a couple of years. We didn't really expect him to start this year, but he opted out. And so now we're going into next season with, you know, Schwartz injured now. We don't know if he'll be back in 2021. Eric Fisher's contract will be up soon. Um, you know, and we've we've missed a year of development from Niang. And we don't really know what we have in the guy because of the situation. And, you you know, you can't blame players for making that choice to opt out. If we were in their shoes, we'd want to be able to make that choice under those circumstances. Uh, but it didn't it didn't help the team any, you know. So there were two blows right at the beginning of the season that kept the team from, um, you know, doing what they wanted to do on the offensive line. So, you know, now we've got Mike Remmers out there playing right tackle, who was just supposed to be a swing player on the offensive line this year. He's a 10-year veteran, lots of experience all along the line. He's held up very well. But he's not Mitchell Schwartz, you know. So there's a weakness. Um, they were pretty good in pass protection, uh, not as good at run blocking. Uh, but you know, when you got Patrick Mahomes back there, yeah. you can make up for a lot of a lot of problems on the offensive line. And it helps for us to have Clyde Edwards-Helaire in there yeah. because yeah. he's been a terrifically talented running back for the Chiefs. Uh, but he's not going to be at 100 percent for this game. Uh, we we think he will play, but um, you know, he's, he's probably not going to be all there for this game. So my, I have a couple more questions before we wrap up and let you get back yeah. on with, with your normal life. First question, not just if it was the Browns coming in this weekend, but 
with the success you guys have had, with the players you guys have, especially that quarterback, is it just kind of like everyone kind of scoffs and laughs at these pre warm up games before the Super Bowl now? Is anyone actually, you know, super concerned about this game Sunday from the Chiefs side? I am. Well, I guess but I you mean, have that long tortured fan syndrome like we do. Are people just kind of looking at It's the Browns, whatever. I watched the game on Sunday, <laughs> and um, the Browns took advantage of a lot of mistakes. I think it was 24 points on turnovers, and you're going to win a lot of games if you score 24 points on turnovers. And uh, you're going to win, well, I think the figure is about 95% of games if you score 25 points on, 24 points on turnovers. <laughs> and um, uh, so... For the other 31 teams, probably. Sorry, keep going. Yeah, I mean, you're going you're gonna to win a lot, a lot of games if you start out that way with a 28 to nothing lead. Um, but I was very impressed with the Browns, you know, that running attack is incredible. And, um, you know, 20 years ago that had taken you to the Super Bowl. you know, the, the, in, in the years that I started really being a fan of the chiefs, that team with that quarterback would have been impossible to beat. Um, you know, with those two rushers and the offensive line that you have, that wasn't even all there. On Sunday night, uh, and your defensive line has been hobbled. They, you know, they, they're. You've got a good unit there. You've got good, talented players. You've got a solid quarterback. Um, you're built to go a long way. Um, I, I don't know that you're built to beat the Chiefs, but um, but it's not a team to scoff at by any stretch of the imagination. So I'm worried. Uh, I know the Chiefs are going to have to play their best game because it's the playoffs. It's not just because, you know, the particular matchup with this team, but it's the playoffs. And if there's one thing that we believe that Andy Andy Reid does well is prepare his team so that they don't go into tra- don't create trap games. Mm-hmm. You know, he 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 that's his thing from the top down is we respect every team. We don't care how you are. We know you can beat us on your best day and your best day may be this weekend, so yeah. we better be ready for it. You know, and I think that's part of the reason that, that Reed has been so successful, that he's so well, he's done such a good job of communicating that idea to his team, and they live by it. Exactly why we were scared to death of the Jets game, but that's for another time. <laughs> now, my last question, and I don't want to talk about the history of it or the actual incident, but what kind of reception do you think Kareem Hunt will get in the stadium on Sunday? Will he get booed, will he be indifferent? Like, what's the, what do we think? I think it'll be a little both. I, I, there's there's still players who pine for Kareem Hunt. Felt that the team made a mistake well, in Holmes letting him go. Mahomes said he's one of his best friends. Like yesterday, yeah, that's yeah. true. And and Kelsey said the same thing today. Uh, he was asked about Kareem Hunt when he spoke to the media today. I didn't happen to write the story about Mahomes, so I don't I, I don't have what he said clearly in mind. Pete wrote that story, so and I, I haven't I haven't read it fully yet. Um, but yeah, uh, Travis Kelsey said that this is one of my best friends and we don't talk enough and he was looking forward to seeing him and, and, uh, you know, they, we don't fully appreciate the brotherhood that these players have when they play together on a team and then go someplace else. And that brotherhood still exists. I think that's something we don't fully appreciate. Or and you see little you see little signs of it on the field after games when you see players greeting each other and embracing each other. 
we saw a really good example of it in the Super Bowl this year when uh, Damian Williams, uh, you know, went and greeted a friend of his. I, I won't be able to remember his name, who was a running back for the uh, for the 49ers. And these guys had become fast friends when they were on the same team. I think they were both at Miami before uh, Damian Williams came to Kansas City. And, you know, the, the story that they told, you know, that somebody caught a photograph of him in the runway exchanging, uh, exchanging jerseys. And it was a great story. And I don't think we really fully appreciate the bond that these players have when they play together for a season, you know, and have each other's backs. It, you can't just turn that off. You know, there's no light switch you can turn that makes that just go away. And so then they have to play against these guys in a very violent game. And it's it's kind of astonishing, actually, you know, that, that, that they're able to do it. And um, so I, I think this is something that, at least from the players' side, I think they all love Kareem Hunt. He was their teammate, you know, and a lot yeah. of players on that team are still with the Chiefs. And uh, Kareem Hunt knows, still knows that those guys. But when he was asked about it this week, he said the same thing. I've got friends there who supported me and, and helped me in my time of trouble. And, you know, they're my friends, but we'll be enemies on Sunday yep. because that's what we get paid for, you know. So those are um, all great points. Yeah. But among the fans, you know, some people are mad at him because they feel like he made a mistake. And that's fair. Yeah. Uh, and some people wish he was still with the Chiefs. So I think there's going to be a little booing and a little cheering uh, when he comes on the field. I don't know how much of that mindset is like twisted by the media or what have you, but that's something that we really believe in is on this podcast is that our players, all of these players, they're human beings and they're kind of mm -hmm. looked at as commodities. And it's just like nobody knows what it's like to take a snap in the NFL unless you're in the right. NFL and there's all these things you just don't hear about uh, that these guys deal with. But should we get into predictions squad? Let's do it. John, are you able to can you do some predictions for Sunday's score? Yeah. Uh, 34 is 27 chiefs. Ah, I was going to do something similar. All right. Tradition is I always go and the rally goes next. Obviously can't pick against the boys. Um, I was going to say something goofy like 35, 33 Browns. I'm going 46, 17 Browns. <laughs> okay, okay, Rolling. Yeah, okay. yeah, you laugh. Well, you, no, know, you could be right. You could be right. I, I can't. I can't tell you you're wrong. No, I'm <laughs> laughing because my favorite thing is that every time we have someone off from the other sideline, uh, the other the opposing team, I just love their reaction when Rally gives them his score predictions. The best. But Mr. John Dixon, Deputy Editor of Arrowhead Pride, we will have all of his contact info and links in the episode description. Thank you so much again for joining us. Really appreciate it. Best Sorry, I've given you such an editing job. I think this went a lot no, longer. Than we're I'm not cutting the thing. No, I'm not cutting the thing. Perfect. I'm not cutting the thing. But we appreciate it very much, sir. Best of luck. Let's hope for uh, an injury clean game on Sunday. I'm, I'm for that. I'm for that. And best of luck to the Cleveland Browns for many, uh, many fine seasons after this one. You guys have, have earned where you've where you've gotten, and I hope you have many more seasons like this one. I, I, I'm with you, bros. <laughs> we both we both have we both have. Thank you, John, so much for coming on. On that my note. Pleasure. That does it for Raleigh and I. Thank you once again for tuning into the Dogs of War podcast. Good night, Cleveland. Well, I
Close my eyes.